Hey, potential podcast listeners. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com potential. That's betterhelp.com slash potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. Hey, potential podcast listeners. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com slash potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being and let's get checked. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by that filmmaker. That visionary, that director. Oh, wait. No, that's that podcaster. Sorry, I was getting the wrong credits here. Taylor oh. Sokol, how are we doing? <laughs> I was like, what uh, page did you pull up? I'm doing good. Aspiring, <laughs> uh, though. Aspiring one day, you know. We, well, we, to be we... fair, when I first, I remember when I first started, like, I've always loved film, and, you know, we both shared that. And I always like doing my own little, like, uh, family films and you know kind of had that eye and that knack for it and I used to like my code name I was called myself avid filmer 90 uh, and of course Ooh. I never I never was an avid filmer I thought it was cool but I obviously haven't filmed a lot but uh, then YouTube came and um, so it's out there so now I just film 
five minute videos and now we got these TikTokers. What do they know? Uh, they, they didn't have a camcorder that you uh, had no special effects. Remember those days? Yeah, there used to be days where there was no such thing as cell phones and we had cameras, actual cameras. And, you know, there used to be the day when you actually had to put film in the camera, which uh, that for some still does exist, which is uh, interesting. Well, for, the, but... for the more Artur, you know, film yes. or photographers. But um, speaking of that, I mean, you know, on this podcast, we talk so much and I think that's OK that we clearly are huge film buffs. And I think we've always had it's not even about the film itself. I think we look a little further into the film and kind of the visionary if you will, behind the film. And I think there's definitely quite a few in our lifetime and ones that came before that I think we would aspire to and we have a lot of respect for, or revere, if you will, almost like gods of the film world. Oh, there are definitely these directors and filmmakers that have shaped a lot of our life, even since our childhood. And today we wanted to talk about one in particular that probably for most would be given the title of most successful a uh, person in Hollywood, uh, to be honest, in terms of uh, behind the camera, although he has had a few moments on the camera, but as a director, producer, uh, just, I mean, this guy has worked so much in not only film, but on TV as well. But someone that I think a lot of his films, and you can see why he has had such the commercial success for this, a lot of his films speak to different generations. They speak to fantasy and adventure and uh, sometimes a lot of deep emotional parts about humanity, uh, which is an interesting thing to weave sometimes into some of the genres that he picks. But this man has directed all over the place. And we want to talk today about the one and only Steven Spielberg. Absolutely. I mean, we could do a 10 part series just on Steven. Spielberg. We could. And, and you know what? I think we should one day. Um, we won't get paid for it, but it'll be fun. Uh, but maybe they'll come back to us like, hey, you had this 10 part Spielberg series and we want to fund you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think it's I was glad that we want to talk about this. And I think you and I gravitated towards Spielberg and we never really you and I never really talked about him in depth. But fun fact about me, uh, I remember. Do you remember when you were in school? Um, I don't know what grade it was, but did you ever have like one of your grades where you had to uh, talk about someone you were inspired by? Or you had to like give a speech or a presentation. I'm remember? sure I had something like that. Yeah. Back in, yeah. back in elementary school. Yeah. I think in, in that, like that kind of still think about that. I don't know what it must've been elementary school, but I remember that was like who I wanted to um, study or who I wanted to present because I don't know what it was about Spielberg, but at such a young age, I always gravitated toward his films and I was just really in awe of, who he who he became or who started because he did have such humble humble roots well i just remember even before starting to watch some of his films and there's definitely some of his films that you start to watch even from a young age just that name alone steven spielberg was probably the first real like hollywood director that even as a kid i knew I recognize that name. Like that was synonymous with director and Spielberg and it's Hollywood. Like... Yeah. It was like Hollywood elite Steven Spielberg. Exactly. Uh, even, even though at the time that, you know, I was born in 88 or a couple years later, it's, he's still like about to get into another huge boom of sci-fi. But up to that point, he already made uh, many incredible films. And so even from a young yeah childhood, I just remember like Steven Spielberg, you know, years before I would know people like, Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't watch 
I'm not six years old watching Casino. Um, <laughs> well, you shouldn't be. Yeah, there, there might be out there, but yeah, I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> but, you know, to think of him coming from this group, uh, you know, this day and age where a, lo- as a lot of young visionaries, like, you know, someone like George Lucas, one of his best friends, uh, and Zemeckis and, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these guys kind of grew up in like the same, if you will, like the same generation. They're all like the same kind of class and making small films when they're kids, you know, they're having this, this, this love for the camera from a young age. And, you know, as an actor, I'm someone that always, you know, Visions wants to be on the camera. You know, I want to, you know, and I've had, you know, notions of wanting directing, but there, there, you could see the people that have from a young age, they've wanted to create images. They wanted to film things and think that they, you know, eventually Stephen would go off to film school and, and start to, all right, let's actually start to make this a thing and start making student films. And then, all right, bada boom, we're going to hit the ground running. Yeah. And I, and I think like to, when you're saying that, I think that's kind of, we, you know, we both have a love of being on stage and out there, but I think me as, as time has gone on, I feel like, and I think it's kind of funny with this podcast though, I do like being a lot of behind the scenes. I, I like, especially we've been doing these skits and creating, I've always had a love of actual, the creation of that. Not that I, but I think I like more of the behind the camera work. And I think that was, that's what I think drew me to Spielberg so much. And we talk about his humble roots of, you know, he had that super eight camera, you know, and creating these like little family films. And I think that was him growing up. It was always just doing these little films and making like miniature models and, and things like that. And I think that was really cool. And he was just such a a self-made person that he really like, you know, fought to, um, you know, get that, you know, get his start by just at a very young age. And, uh, I still, you know, thinking about when he first started out, I remember reading about, um, his first movie, um, that he did before, like anything that was, um, he played a local theater Amblin, which I think was kind of like funny. And then it would, uh, and he just had these kind of these visions, these ideas, and that would like start the that first film would kind of like create what obviously Amblin Entertainment, which would become his household, you know, production company years later. But um, do you remember thinking about what was the first Spielberg movie or the first time you recognized Spielberg as a director? What was the first like thing you encountered? I have to imagine the first Spielberg movie I ever saw would probably have been Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming if, if not E.T., uh, probably one of those two, uh, just because, you know, Jurassic Park would have come down the line a little bit. I don't think I was uh, ready to see Jaws yet until a little older. But, you know, for the longest time, I remember my grandma having this VHS copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And more than likely, that might have been the first time in the first place I ever watched it was at our house in the this little, you know, this dinosaur TV, uh, which uh, had a VHS player. <laughs> there's people listening around and going what's this vhs and i'm like well That's look scary. it up yeah it's scary it. but that was our that was our childhood yeah kids. we had we had to rewind it we had an actual device <laughs> that rewound it was just a it was just a rewinder it was only for rewinding tapes <laughs> the raiders of the lost ark i mean you know we, we we talked about nanny jones before we had a whole episode on it. if you haven't checked it out go listen to it it was earlier this season but uh 40th year of raiders of the lost ark this year so crazy to think about that but I, I, I don't know if it was instantly reminding, you know, Steven Spielberg, but, you know, you, you see uh, directed by Steven Spielberg and you also see George Lucas, you know, as a, a writer of the story, 
and a producer. And, you know, this, I'm sure by then I already seen Star Wars. So you're starting to connect these names of, okay, some of these guys are creating some of these really impressive stories. And Indiana Jones being an excellent example of a really great character-driven story within this action-adventure genre of, you know, the archaeologist who he's a professor by day and goes out and goes on these wild adventures to save some of the best, you know, most, uh, you know, these relics of, uh, that need to belong in a, in a museum and the lengths that he goes to and how he's somewhat of a, uh, action hero, somewhat of a James Bond type. Uh, you just see that there's something about, I think the, the play on genre, the play on, okay, we can turn this up a few notches. Uh, you know, you, you, you watch some of the James Bond films and, although I'm sure many of them are great as we talked about on our James Bond episode, there's some of that just kind of, they kind of just fill the boxes. They just check the boxes off, you know? Yep. Okay. We got gadgets, this, that, and okay, here we go. Box office smash. But, you know, obviously as years go by, and I think that was the thing about what was amazing about Spielberg is he, and even just as first starting out, and, and I agree with you, I think it would have been, it would have been Indiana Jones or it would have been E.T. was the first film I saw. It might have been E.T., but I remember it was around that time and I wouldn't have seen Jaws probably till I was 10. You would have been 12 at the time. Um, and because I, I had a thing for sharks, still do. But I think that was the thing that a lot of like film artists like Hitchcock had seen about Spielberg was that not only did he create these great films, but it was just his his filming technique is how he how he filmed the you know the different angles and some of these things and he also invoked a lot of these very iconic images you know like you could have the silhouette of indiana jones and you know okay i see the hat or you see the fin or or little things like that so it was just he created these iconic images he just had this such a unique perspective even at a young age and still to this day and i think that was really cool the projects he decided to undertake if you will yeah, it's interesting to think too. Just you know, we're not gonna go too deep in the Indiana Jones because we've already talked about the season. But to think that this upcoming Indiana Jones five is not to be directed by Spielberg himself, be the first one that uh, he's not directing. But of course, he is a producer on it. But uh, James Mangold, who uh, we loved because of Logan, uh, is directing that. So interested to see where that's gonna go. But you know, I always think, man, Indiana Jones, just you know, every movie, whether you love it or you hate it. It's just, you know, I don't hate any of them, honestly, even though, yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull gets a lot of backlash for certain things. There's just such an adventure element. And I think a lot of his films, when they're not these films that are about really historical uh, moments, which he's had a fair share. It's kind of interesting. You look at Spielberg. You have you have these family, somewhat family friendly kind of action adventure films. He has his sci fi films and then he's got a lot of these historical uh, films where it's like about real events and they get you know real real dark and uh, you know very accurate and he's really kind of he's had these kind of uh, waves where he sticks to that genre for a while and then he changes it up and does something else and he's back to it for a while but you know we, we mentioned E.T. so I guess we'll talk about E.T. for a second here next year we'll do a more in-depth uh, just on E.T. alone because next year will be the 40th anniversary of E.T. We're just going to go every <laughs> 40th anniversary of each. I mean, film. yeah. So you have, you have to wait a long time for the hangover. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> but um, <laughs> E.T., I, you know, especially for the time that this film was made, 
this would have been filmed in the early 80s and came out in 82. You know, there's something about the film that <clears throat> even though maybe nowadays, if they had decided to make this film now, uh, you know, E.T. would maybe still have been a, a, a puppet. And then, you know, that might have been a little more CGI element to it. There's something really endearing about E.T., even though he's not maybe the most uh, uh, handsomest boy in the planet. Yeah, I don't like his feet. It's a really touching story. And there's a lot about E.T. where I remember even as a kid, like, I remember thinking, like, am I going to go out to the backyard and take some Reese's Pieces? And there's going to, am I going to find an alien? You know, like. I did that. Didn't happen, but I tried. <laughs> yeah. I, no, the, the, the skunks hate the, the Reese's Pieces. Um you know, what I mean, like there's something that really I, I love how much for a, a movie that is based about uh, an alien. It's all about the kid. It's all about Elliot. And, you know, we've we've done nothing but compliment Henry Thomas on all these projects he's been doing the last several years. But to go back to the OG, uh, the, the movie that, uh, you know, definitely needed a very strong kid actor, Spielberg. And you can you can go actually on YouTube and watch his audition uh, when Spielberg offers him the role, but uh, what a performance is Elliot. And I think also recently, and speaking of another young um, starlet uh, child actor, Drew Barrymore, and the career that she's had after this, and it was kind of really cool because I think she just celebrated her birthday recently, and Spielberg came on and, you know, talking about how they had this great, you know, he really had a, not only an eye for the camera, but also performers. And in Drew Barrymore at this young age, I mean, there was this fun, like, anecdote they're talking about how she's going to these people who are operating the et animatronic like who are these people what why do we need these people so he kept that childlike wonder where they you know really okay et is a real character and you could see that in the performances that these i think it's very it has varied over the years but i mean that was just what great casting and i think that was and talk about you know an alien is focused on the family there's very at the time, there weren't a lot of family-friendly alien films. You know, if you had an alien, it was like aliens are attacking, they're abducting people, and that's continued on. I mean, obviously, you know, Star Wars, it has varied, or with Alien itself, but I think this was such a very fresh take on it that still to this day, you go back to it, and you just see it with that, you become a child again. You become that little kid. And I think a lot of that film does play from the angle of the kids because there's this whole you know, the government, uh, whatever this, uh, you know, they're not the police, but they're, there's some kind of government facility that is trying to find this alien and trying to abduct this alien to do experiments on that, to test it. You know, it gets very dark, but you never really get an explanation of who these people are. And you never really see them until the very end of the movie. Cause it's, it is, it is like waist high, you know? Yeah. Like, like in the forest, you know, you just see the guy with the flashlight and, you know, for the longest time, I always thought, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll dive more into this uh, next time. But oh, I always thought the fan theory is like, is it Elliot's dad? That's is what I, yeah. That? Yeah. I always kept like thinking. the dad left to go, you know, to Mexico or whatever. And it's because he was actually going to try to find these aliens. And then that's I'm still it convinced it's him. But I mean, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to briefly mention Jaws here because, you know, as I was saying about James Bond, I feel like there's a lot of films that up to this point would kind of, <clears throat> they would kind of check the boxes, you know, are we got the formula down, but Spielberg really started to define the blockbuster. And a lot of these films that he made um, would be huge blockbusters, you know, be very successful. And something about Jaws too, you know, think about nowadays, there's been even, we had some more films where it's like, 
you don't see the you don't see it till you know the very end and like that that's all because of jaws uh definitely inspired you know with alien and you know this whole idea of this this shark that it's not really some kind of demon shark that's like purposely trying to kill people it's just hungry just happens to be a little bigger and should not be where it's at uh, but that film, I mean, we've we've doted on it enough and it's amazing. But, you know, one that's right after that, his next film that I wouldn't see till way, way later. I don't think I probably properly saw this entire film till last year, actually during the pandemic. I said, are you talking it. about Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah. I have not seen it properly ever. Oh, that's, I know that's saying something. Here's the thing. I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV and I enjoyed it, but then I never like it wasn't. I know what has happened, transpired. But never like it wasn't something that I wanted to gravitate towards back to. I think I need to give it another proper watch. It's a really interesting sci-fi film. Uh, you know, following Richard Dreyfus, who we love from Jaws, uh, to lead the film, and really, it has. I think what's interesting about it is it has this momentum of an alien film, but it's from the angle of like, are they coming down? Like, did they actually exist? And then how crazy you get from thinking that, you know, the craze, which this is definitely was something that happened in America and it still happens to this day. I mean, you think of Area 51, people are obsessed with aliens. I mean, that and happened, just, yeah, within the last uh, two years. We had both storm Area 51. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, and it has some really cool, like its own kind of sci-fi rules and some of the, uh, the ship design and like some of the alien design. It's very weird. And, uh, but it, a lot of it is you don't see them throughout most of the film. You know, it's not like you're seeing things. It's seen, you know, a lot of that uh, you see in like these real life, you know, I was abducted and taken up in the ship. It's it's a lot of that situation where it's like, where they take it up in the ship. And Richard Dreyfuss is just this father that's going, he's starting to go on the deep end because he's like, no, they're coming. They're going to come to this mountain and everyone's thinking he's crazy and all these crazy events happen. So a fantastic film that I had to bring up. Um and then, you know, like I said, you mix in a little bit of the action adventure within more of these really telling stories, such as The Color Purple. I actually have never seen this film, but I've seen the stage musical. Um, it had about 11, yeah, 11 Academy Award nominations, but it didn't end winning a single win, unfortunately, that year. But uh, I know it's one that a lot of people do love. And I believe now we're getting a updated new version, I think is coming to the big screen uh, via the musical. But um, that was a big one for him to direct. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg, I know, was highly praised for her role in that. And then you have, you know, after that, his next big film that he directed, which again, you said earlier, his eye for finding young talent. Uh, we have Empire of the Sun, which is a film where we would, I, I think it was his first film, Christian Bale, as a kid. It, it, yeah, it would have been, um, it would have been one of his earlier films, maybe. Um, it was his second it, film. Yeah, because the, the first one, it was only a television film. So yeah, yeah this Mio be... in the Land of Far Away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, his first actual film role, uh, or like you know, one that's notable for Christian Bale, and I think this is when he's like a, a young kid. Um, Here's another film, though. I've never seen Empire of the Sun. I've heard great things about it. Uh, and this is all about a, uh, a young boy who goes from living in a wealthy British family in Shanghai and becomes a prisoner of war in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. So this is where you start to see, again, kind of with Color Purple as well, that he wanted to tackle some heavier 
uh, material. And I think he was starting to find a path of, all right, I'm, I'm finding these fun, big adventure uh, stories, these sci-fi stories, but there's still stuff that I want to tell that is a little darker, a little more gritting. Yeah. Well, and, and I think he wanted to shed light and histor more historical accurate films, if possible. Also, I think up until this point, a lot of these, um, and we're going into this in a second, but a lot of these uh, war films in the past were all a little bit more of the propaganda when war films first started out. You know, think about back in the days of World War II when film was becoming a thing. It was more propaganda and a little bit of that, but it was more of the action. It wasn't telling, you know, um, human element of a story and i think that's what we're going to keep repeating over the course of this episode whether you're uh watching a film like jaws or jurassic park with these amazing creatures of wonder uh or these big uh war epics he tells these emotional stories that it's the human the characters the biggest uh part of his films are the human element and that stays true through all his films you know even even as cgi progresses and he gets grander and grander which we'll get to later in his films he always tries to concentrate on the human story because otherwise it's just like if you're just there to see the the fancy show what's what's the point you know you're there to have you're, you're you know especially you know, you think of films often directors are trying to be like who are you following in the film who is the audience perspective and typically it's one of the human characters that you're following you know if Jurassic Park the whole thing was filmed from the point of view of the T-Rex it'd be a much different movie you know uh, would not be as much dialogue just be a lot of screaming going into that we have starting in the nineties, you know, we had Indiana Jones and the last crusade. That was his quote unquote last Indiana Jones film, which we love very much. And that kind of ended this anthology films of Indiana Jones, three films. Then we go into things like hook a, a film that I freaking love so much. Oh yeah. I, anytime I see that on TV, I just, I will watch the whole thing again. That's one where I think, you know, even now we think of we're in this day and age where we're getting a lot of these, how do we do spins on fantasy stories and these these fairy tales and these you know the characters that we know and we're getting more of these you know let's go into a deep dive on the villain let's but go into the uh, the origin, origin story, story. Yeah. the origin story of Peter Pan before he was Pan he was Peter you know I don't know <laughs> Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater but <laughs> <laughs> to look at Hook Robin Williams rest in peace someone that we uh, adore so much as a grown up Peter Pan who forgot that he's you know, it's a great story uh, to then have to go back to Neverland and his children have been kidnapped by Captain Hook and, you know, a little more focus on Hook himself. You know, I feel like I love the, the character of Captain Hook and fun fact, it probably was at least, I want to say 15 to 20 years after, maybe not 20 years. Let's, let's go. I'm gonna go a 10 to 15 year range. From the first time I saw Hook until I realized it was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have, I think it would have been when in my later years I saw Dustin Hoffman more movies, and I'm like, I never thought about that because it, it, he really not only just the those eyebrows that would envy <laughs> Eugene Levy. Um, it was just, it just he got it was like one of the most despicable characters he had ever played, and I don't think he's really gotten to like that style. But I mean, that was one of the maybe. I think because I saw it so young, that was one of the first times I really got and enjoyed following the villain. And I really like you, you're invested in him. And like, it's, it is so, he's a very tragic character, actually. Very tragic. And yeah, he's just one of those guys that he definitely uh, has an image 
problem. He has, <laughs> I mean, at one point he's contemplating suicide, which is a oh, yeah. huge thing for a quote unquote family friendly kids movie. But uh, I think too, maybe it just it came down to as a kid, we probably, there wasn't probably a lot of Dustin Hoffman movies we would have been watching as a kid. I mean, he's done, a, he's done a few and like, obviously he's done a few animated stuff too, but I think that was just the first time seeing Dustin Hoffman in a movie without realizing it's Dustin Hoffman. Um, but I've always loved Hook. I think it's very uh, visually uh, neat and the way they, they, the way they like make Neverland, it has this whole kind of rustic look to it. It's, it's got, it almost looks like a movie set at times. And even like they, you know, the food, the, the food scene where they're all imagining the food and then it's just chaos. Well, even like when, the, when they're traveling, it's like over the, over Neverland, it looks just like a map view. Like you even see yeah. the compass in the water. Uh, and a lot of that fantasy. Yeah. yeah very, so very cool. fantastical. And again, and you're talking about Rob Williams and stuff like that. Again, what that, that whole idea of like going back to your childhood, it for, like you said, a family fr- film, there's a lot of stuff it tackles. I mean, a little bit of like alcoholism, suicide, um, you know, yeah. And then there's workaholic. Yeah. I mean, it's really, and it's really investing in like, you know, we know in throughout Peter Pan, you know, story, Tinkerbell loves Peter Pan here. It's like a little bit, whoa, uh, she's really India. Uh, so yeah. And I, I, I think as a kid, I really appreciate it. And going back now as an adult, I appreciate it so much more because that was such an interesting spin. But then we come to a film that will always be known as one of his best films and just a groundbreaking film for sci-fi action adventure and especially for uh, special effects with like creature design, uh, the way that the, the both its actual animatronics mix of CGI, 1993, a big year for him. You have Jurassic Park. This film, which would launch then a huge franchise from, you know, multiple films. And we'll probably talk about, we'll probably do Jurassic Park next year with the you know, Dominion coming out. But uh, this film, it's like, I remember from a kid watching this film and just, it's like my eyes just expanded like three times and I'm just like glued to the <laughs> You're screen. You just eyes it, and legs. That's what yeah. You're uh, actually, I was pretty short as a kid. I didn't really get, get tall until... Uh, eyes and feet, then. <laughs> yeah, eyes and feet. But uh, gosh, I love Jurassic Park. It's just a great story. Even if you have to kind of, you know, uh, turn a bit of a blind eye to the fact that it's... Pro- Maybe nowadays it might be a little more scientifically, uh, you know, possible. But um, you kind of go with the premise. But you have these great characters. And you have these great creature designs. And it's a great mix of its action. It's got comedy. It's got horror for sure, uh, scary stuff, and nothing's topped it. You sound like Jeff, uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, scary stuff. Uh, wow. Uh, is there uh, any actual uh, points on this podcast? Uh, John? <laughs> Hello? Uh, John? Uh, yeah, I just, I love that film. And I think that even though they've kind of continued to try to tell stories in the Jurassic world, uh, you know, universe, new sequels, yeah. universe, if you will, nothing's ever topped the first film. Mm-hmm. Nothing's ever been better on the first film, especially sequences like uh, the first time the T-Rex. Okay, this is spoilers, but if you've not seen Jurassic Park by now, again, we don't apologize. It's been well, it, it's almost it's almost thirty years. It's almost That's thirty crazy. years, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it'd be just in time for us to a, a. It'll be like you know, but you know, I mean, like the T-Rex escaping that whole sequence, the Velociraptors in the in the kitchen. I mean, well, like, what it did though, again, you don't see the dinosaurs for again what he does so well. Like every great horror film or a little bit of that that wonder mystery you don't see the dinosaurs for a while like you said and then even the ones you do see 
it's still like it's still implied like you don't see the velociraptors to like the very end um and then you just like the rustling of the bushes and then you but yeah that i still like get chills thinking about the first time i saw when the t-rex you know attacks the, the cars out in the rain it's just such a great scene because it's that dread and you hear the thump thump and that was like just seeing the water ripple i just like that still gives you chills and obviously we haven't brought him up yet but you know a lot of these films uh also in work with john williams uh who we talked about on our you know music of composers episode from last year just you know a lot of that also plays into you start to seeing these these uh pairings of director composers that work together and having the same team a lot for a lot of these films you can see that the formula is working. We're just finding the new stories, finding new things to tell. And then the music becomes the character. Yeah. And the themes and you recognize a movie straight from the theme. And, you know, as Jurassic Park went on, he did direct the second one, Lost World Jurassic Park a couple years later, um, which, you know, I, you could tell that following some of more Michael Crichton's books, they had to go bigger, had to go bolder. They can't just repeat, repeat. And so that's why we get, you know, oh, there'll be two T-Rex and we'll have more Velociraptors and, you know, and then it starts to get a little wonky as it continues on. I think he's, he's still produced a lot of the films since, uh, but to go in a very different direction to end our first half here, one of his most impressive films that is very hard to watch, but it's stunningly beautiful. Uh, even though it is haunting is of course Schindler's list, which did come out in that same year. And it went on to, this film was nominated for 12 Academy Awards. It won seven, including Best Picture and his first Best Director Award. Uh, very impressive for him. And this one, of course, is a story set in the time of the Holocaust about uh, this man, Oskar Schindler, who would try to save thousands of uh, Jewish refugees from getting to the camps. Uh, this film is so interesting, too. I love how this film is all black and white. Um, it not only paints this kind of historical picture, like you kind of feel like you're watching something from the past, but then there's specific moments when he chooses to use color yes. that are very haunting. And of course, we do love our our, our great actor Liam Neeson, who and Ben Kingsley, but uh, especially uh, Ray Fiennes in this is uh, one of his earlier films. Um, is really dark. I mean. He's gone on to play many villains in his career, but also a lot of good guys. And, uh, you know, if you think Voldemort's creepy, no, no, no. Watch this film and you'll see uh, a much darker turn. Yeah. And this is, uh, again, this will come up later, but I think none of his films encapsulated this idea of good and evil than this one where I think because of his other films of Indiana Jones, you know, the Nazis were the bad guys. This one had, you know, the main protagonist is a good German because, um, you know, a big characterization of Nazis or Germans was, oh, German, Nazi. You know, German, Germany is evil. And I think this was great to show the two sides of the coin. That in wartime, this is, you know, you know what happens. Again, Ray Fiennes, you know, has the, uh, the dark and evil persona and, you know, Schindler, you know, um, how he evolves in the film. And I think that just, it's just so amazing to see that. And I think this, you know, tackled in the early 90s. There will be films and shows that will do this later on, but I think this was really big at the time to show that there are two sides of the coin. There's not; It's not completely black and white, if you will. Yes, exactly. And yeah, it's a fantastic film. And wouldn't it be his, his only film to 
uh, go into the events of World War II. Absolutely. Um, but we'll get to that right after this break. Hey, Chris. Do you ever feel you want to change your lifestyle? Not really. I'm fine with my current wardrobe, thanks, though. I'm not talking about changing your brand names or joining a cult. I'm talking about Ace Lifestyle. <sighs> What's that? Change our hairstyles, help animals out, and say, Alrighty then. No, not Ace Ventura. I'm talking about Ace Lifestyle. It stands for Accountability, Consistency, and Enjoyment. It is the best way to feel better, think better, and enjoy your life. If you want to better your health goals, then this is the way. Okay, Mando. What is this, some sort of new fad diet? No way, not at all. No quick fixes, no tricks, and it's made for whatever you want to get out of the program. Just like the title says, it's a lifestyle. It's your chance to take charge of your health. Interesting. Please go on. It is designed for whatever you want. Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to gain more muscle? Or do you just want to feel better, mentally and physically? That is what Ace Lifestyle is all about. Well, that seems like a lot to take on myself. You are not alone. When you sign up for this program, you get dedicated professionals who are just as passionate to help you reach your goals. And you're not alone because you're joined by a group of other like-minded individuals who have their own health goals in mind every month. How would one find out more? You can find out more and get started by reaching out through their Instagram at the Ace Lifestyle Co. That's at the Ace Lifestyle Co. Wow. You seem to know a lot about this, Taylor. Well, Chris, I'm not just an expert of Ace Lifestyle. I'm also a member. You certainly look slimmer and more annoyingly energetic than usual. Well, thank you, Chris. It's all thanks to Ace Lifestyle. It's now time for you to take back your health. So go for it and change your life for the better. Uh, hello? George! George! Did I wake you up? Mm, yeah. Oh, great! Wonderful! Anyway, I couldn't sleep. Not a wink. We have got to figure out what to do for Indiana Jones 4. Do we have to do this now? It's 4 in the morning. Is it that early? I thought it was an hour back. Hour forward. <laughs> anyway, yes, we have to. The public has been demanding it ever since Indy rolled off into the sunset. Boy, with social media, we better get cracking. Fine. Let me get the coffee on. No! There's no time. Let's start the brainstorming process. Come on, George. This is what we do. Okay, fine. Well, what ideas have you come up with? Well, we've done the Ark of the Covenant, sacred stones, and a cup of Christ. There's so many ideas, and don't worry, I've got tons. Tons, I tell you. First one here is, what about this? The Ark. Noah's Ark. Well, what does it do? Dang. I hadn't thought that far ahead. Hmm. Okay, okay. How about this? Excalibur! The Arthurian sword itself. Eh, I don't know. Not feeling it. Zombies? What? Pandora's box. Nope. The Lost City of Atlantis. Not a chance. George, this is really tough. And to think that I thought I had cracked the code. <sighs> what about crystal skulls? Wait a minute. What did you say? Crystal skulls. That's it. We've got it. 
Crystal skulls! Sounds intriguing. I love it. Very mythical. And what else? Uh, do these uh, crystal skulls uh, have any powers? Well, yes. They're powered by aliens. And maybe Indy has his son, and he hides in a refrigerator that protects him from a nuclear blast? Aliens! Wow! A love child, an impossible means of survival. People will love it. All right, George. Let's get to it, pal. We've got another moneymaker on our hands. And we're back. Now, that was a, you know, going in that first half, you know, we talked, uh, ended on Schindler's List being his first foray into, well, not first foray, but really starting to tackle in his career of directing and producing projects focused on the events of World War II. Yeah, Empire of the Sun, and then this, and then he would move on to 1998's Saving Private Ryan, starring Tom Hanks. Oh, yes. And still, to this day, I don't think of war films without this coming first to mind. And I think what was so great about this film still to this day is, and I think, and we would agree, like, we both have never experienced war. And for those listeners out there, maybe any veterans out there, there's nothing that you can compare unless you've experienced that. And I will never, ever try to think about that. But what I've, when I'm talking about this film, the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of this film, the storming of Normandy has still to this day been depicted as the most accurate representation of, you know, that scenario for those who had been there. And it's just such a brutal beginning of a war film that I think no, I've not seen a film like that, a war film like this until here. And still to this day, it gives me chills watching this film. Yeah, it's intense. And it's a, I feel like a lot of these war stories uh, revolve around small, a small group trying to go off and, you know, do something and, that's what this film really does follow this 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 little uh, group that's being led by Tom Hanks, and they realize that one of their uh, one of their brothers in arms, I guess you could say, is uh, is out there still, and they're trying to go basically go save him, aka saving Private Ryan, uh, played by Matt Damon. And yeah, it's an intense movie, and I mean, you know, you're looking at we have we just had a film about the angle of not so much the war. I mean, the war is definitely a presence, but it's more about what's happening in Germany specifically, the camps. But this is now, we're seeing the opposite side. We're seeing, okay, we're trying to, the the American soldiers are going off and fighting the war. And, you know, especially as you're going into these areas, which we've seen a lot of films do now, these areas where it looks like there's no one around, but definitely there are German soldiers uh, stuck away in these buildings. You know, you know all these places are, are disheveled now because of bombs and stuff. And, you know, the, the ones that have stayed behind to try to you know pick off anyone they can, it gets into some really harrowing situations. And then they think of, you know, these soldiers that would do anything to lay down their life for their country. And I mean, I love that whole sequence at the end when Tom Hanks is just, he's got this small little gun and he's just broken and beaten and he's just shooting at this tank. <laughs> I mean, like yeah, he's yeah. shooting. Like he's, not, thinking, he's not gonna do anything, but he's not still gonna like... do a tank, but he's like, I, I have to fight with my last breath to you know do my duty. Um, yeah, it's just a gorgeous film. And impressively to think it was only, you know, four or five years later after uh, Schindler's list, five years later, that rewarded Spielberg with his second best directing Oscar. And I think this film, I think, kind of reinvigorated especially well i don't know about the world but america's interest in world war ii and without this film you wouldn't have then years later things like band of brothers all these amazing documentarians 
documentaries like by Ken Burns. And I think this is what I think, honestly, this inspired me to really be interested in World War Two. And um, and I think that that was really great. And it just yeah, just a good a powerful film. And again, it would not be um, you see Spielberg has an eye for great performers. And uh, there are uh, quite a few actors in here that he would work with uh, later on in many of his other uh, later films. But after that, he would go on to, all right, let's go back to sci-fi. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Uh, took a few years off. I'm sure of that, in that little hiatus he was working on, uh, you know, he's a producer for so many things. So even though if he's not directing a project, he's producing a ton of stuff all the time and working on television and movies. But oh, yeah, well, like I said, Band of Brothers, he even he was a producer on like Ben and Black, Men in Black 2, uh, taken like all these things and even so, animation yeah. you know like he you know animaniacs and stuff like that was going on <laughs> tiny and, tune adventures you know, tiny in the and a lot of that was still his production uh producing that but we get into ai artificial intelligence and then right after that minority report and we're starting to get these really really fant you know very fantastical sci-fi films uh cgi is getting better and these are some really cool stories uh, Haley Joel Osment, who had been you know, doing a few things at this point, um, and Jude Law. And this is an interesting film. I mean, it's dark. This movie is creepy in some ways, but it's also, I love the kind of the design of the world building that he did. Um, this whole idea of this like little kid that is an AI uh, who thinks that he's a real boy. It's in, you get a little that Pinocchio kind of element going on in this thing, you know? Yeah, Pinocchio. Well, even we got the blue fairy and like, you know, literal like hit you over the head and also tackles other things because it's set in a post-climate change society. So it talks about other like elements that, but it's not hitting you over the head with it. It's just kind of very subtle. But uh, yeah, what a what a casting. And Haley Jawsman is just, I, it is really dark film. It's one that I, I remember seeing a few times, but I just remember it was, um, you know, you go back and look at it, it's a tough pill to swallow. Some of these, you know, it's a bit bleak at times, this film. It is bleak. Uh, but it, yeah, it's an interesting one. I haven't seen it in a long time. So actually, I, I kind of want to revisit it now that we're talking about it. But I remember watching it a lot and there was like the, the like, there's a whole section where it's like almost like a gladiator pit or something like that, right? There's like a whole like a fighting ring or something. Oh, with and these robots and everything. The robots yeah. and stuff. And then, yeah, just, and it's, it's sad, you know, it's like he just wants to be loved and trying to find where he fits in the world. Um, uh, and then Minority Report, this movie's awesome. Tom Cruise. Uh, and I think we, we just we just saw earlier this year Reminiscence, and it kind of was giving me a lot of Minority Report uh, vibes. But obviously Minority Report goes a little more into the kind of crazy sci-fi world. But the idea of this whole cop division that can go back and look at memories and pinpoint where crimes are and then well the pre-crime yeah they can they can they'll stop crime before it happens and this whole like so if you could stop a crime you know would you but like you know the whole idea of the punishment comes after the crime and so i i did like that and again there's this the, the family element and um this is one of my favorite tom cruise films i i I really, I actually love too because they had a video game based on it. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, but I, uh, I did really enjoy this film because that's another dark film too. And even just some of the, just the, the color palette of this film too, like very similar to AI where it's, it's very, very dark and it's very, and some of these kind of camera angles where it's just kind of like half the person's face kind of like, so there, well, and then even it goes into part of the plot of the film where you only see you know, part of the crime or something like that, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's been out since 2002. So you've had time to see it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's actually one film I'd like to go back and, and watch again. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. But then to think 
move on from that, let's go into a whole different, much more bright color palette. Uh, one of my favorite films of his, Catch Me If You Can. A somewhat Hollywoodized version of the real story of Frank Abagnale Jr. Uh, and the fact that he faked checks and stole money for many, many years and when fake personas and all this stuff. A great movie, Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks back. This movie is fantastic. Yeah, and then we get Christopher Watkins in it. You know, he's back and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, for the film, because he is fantastic as uh, Frank Amadale Sr., if you will. Um, yeah, this movie is great. I love that. It, obviously, it has the uh, accuracy of being, you know, the actual real story of, of this character. But you're following a lot of this film from, you know, this kid's eyes and how he's on the run. He keeps getting swept up in these situations where he kind of has to go with the flow. And sometimes you see the fear that he's actually like at any moment he could be caught. And then you have this this hysterical uh, cop played by Tom Hanks, this detective that is just like, he is so on the case, but he's somewhat of not the brightest bulb. <laughs> you know, uh, he always gets swindled somehow. It, and the music in this um, is just like really cool. Again, John Williams, it has that whole kind of like, like 60s era with like the, you know, da -da 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 -da. it almost has a little bit of James Bond to it, but it's it's different. I just think it's a great cast. It's a great story and uh, you know, the costumes and it's got a lot of great comedy to it. But again, those heartfelt moments where especially near the end when he's, when he's caught and it's just like depressing. Well, even before that, I remember this one, one scene I had to talk about. I remember he calls up um, Henry and he's like, just kind of, uh, he literally tells him where to catch him. He's like, tells him the hotel cause he's done running and he's like, no. And he's like, and Henry's just sitting at the office. He's got no one to go home to. They both have no one to go. They turn to the person that's chasing the, like his, his kind of sworn enemy, if you will. But he really is like, he gave him the opportunity, but he like, oh, I didn't trust him. But it was like, I have no, and he calls him out. You have no one else to call, you know? So it's like, it's a little sad at times because he, um, you know, and again, dealing with these themes of like his mom and dad, you know, with the going through divorce and there's infidelity and there's this, you know, but I, yeah, I do. And again, great casting, uh, you know, yeah, like I said, Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen and, and, uh, so, so much fun. And, um, Amy Adams, yeah. who will, um, Jennifer Garner, wasn't she? Jennifer in, Garner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's being the Tom Hanks, you know, we'll just kind of wrap this in here. Cause we're getting to the end of this. Um, Tom Hanks, obviously being a, a mainstay for Spielberg for many films, he would go on to do the terminal and then down the line, bridges spies and the post so Tom Hanks has definitely been one that uh, has been continued to work with Spielberg and all these great films. The Terminal, that's an interesting one where this man is stuck in an airplane terminal. Um, he's not allowed to leave uh, and having to kind of somewhat of like a kind of comedy, somewhat of a romance a little bit. You know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in there and um, one I haven't seen in a long time. But, you know, again, having these actors continue to come back for films. We then had Tom Cruise back with Spielberg for War of the Worlds which I think is a fantastic adaptation of that story by H.G. Wells. Oh, very good. Um, very cool. The the way the, the alien ships are built and uh, the story, it's got a lot of great action to it. It's a very, it's got the horror, it's got the creepiness, the, this whole, you know, alien invasion taking over. And then, of course, as with any good sci-fi movie, where the real problem is not actually the alien attack itself, it is humans. Uh, Note in case Tim Robbins uh, fantastic in this one sequence in the film but you know you got uh, 
Dakota Fanning in there as one of the kids. And that's, again, I think Spielberg always found these eyes for having these smart kid actors that have obviously, you know, obviously gone on to do much bigger things, but or the worlds. And then to follow that up with Munich, you know, it's like, again, finding these, these paths where he would go, All right, I want to do a sci-fi adventure movie. And now I want to do a historical accurate gritting, you know, a uh, film like that. Here's why I wanted to bring him actually, because I really enjoyed the film and I'm sad that we still have not gotten the follow-up and it's been teased for several years and still hasn't happened. Did you ever see the adventures of 1010? I did not, but I do remember reading a bit of the comic books. I'm going back um, though, but I never had seen this as one that I wanted to jump into. It's a really neat movie. It's all um, motion cap kind of situation. I mean, it's all animated. It's an interesting style, but it was a whole thing where it was going to be uh, it was a combo pack of Spielberg and Peter Jackson. And the idea was that Spielberg would direct the first film and then Peter Jackson would direct the second one. It was, it was planned to be a whole trilogy. And the second film just never happened. It's been like, it has a title. It's had like, you know, support to do it. And it just has never gone off the floor for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I thought it was a really cool movie. You know, it is an older cartoon, this Belgian cartoon that yeah, I remember reading as a kid sometimes. But I like the story. I liked how it was done. And this was that time of, this is the decade where people started to really do these like, all right, let's do fully CGI motion cap you know, kind of, it's very, even though it has a cartoon style to it, there's still this element of like trying to make it realistic, you know, as, as, as possible. But after that was done, we then go into yeah, all these war movies, we have war horse. And that's, that's one I really enjoyed war horse where it, again, a very interesting perspective, having all the tragedies of world war two and all this all through the, through this experience of this one horse. And then his like journey back to his owner. I think that was really beautiful. I remember seeing that in theaters and thinking that is, that is a great film. Yeah. You could say the critics did not say nay. <laughs> okay. Moving Couldn't on from it. that joke. Now I'm Warhorse actually uh, a successful Broadway play, which used a giant um, somewhat puppet of the horse. And it was a big thing where like four, I think it was like two to four actors that would like control this horse. Uh, and that was what then got adapted to this movie. And Lincoln, you know, is a fantastic bio movie of Abraham Lincoln, of course, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who that won him his third Best Actor Academy Award. This movie, I mean, like what it, you know, again, it's a different part of hist history. Um, you know, now we're going towards, you know, getting into coming up to the Civil War, but uh, another fantastic historical drama and there's this yeah there's this color palette to his history films where like it's very dark it's very gripping there's uh an, a huge cast i mean lincoln he's covering a huge part of his life uh, which is hard to do and I, I it i remember watching that film and being like very impressed with just how many people are in it uh the story's telling and you know we have all these depictions of what lincoln was supposed to be like and who knows what's 100 percent accurate but for my money, I think Daly Lewis is the best one who's ever done. Yeah, that. I think he's one of those the presidents of old that has been, you know, depicted so many different ways. But I would say that's probably, I mean, again, Daniel Day Lewis, what you know, one of those method actors. He goes like into these roles and just becomes that character. Um, but yeah, that's one I want to go back to and check out again. But you know, I'm I'm just gonna go into uh, one last one here. I want to talk about because I think as someone who didn't read the book. I thought the movie was awesome. 
I've been told if I was to read the book, I would find the movie not as awesome, but yeah, that, that was me. I'm, I, I'm one of, I'm one of those people. I'm the critical book first movie guy after, <laughs> but, um, I loved ready player one. I thought it was a lot of fun. It is just a big fantasy nerd, <laughs> nerd tastic movie. Uh, obviously definitely highlighted a lot of his previous films or films that, uh, you know, he's, uh, correlated with, but I thought it was a really cool premise and, a good mix of practical effects within a ton of CGI. And I wonder if he would tackle Ready Player Two. Uh, not sure if he would or not, but you've read the book. So what what you know, what was your you know take on that film? I think it's fantastic, but I've heard that if I read the book, I would maybe view it differently. What I would say, and this is something I, you know, on an offshoot, we could go into this in a future episode, but I will say sometimes it's better to watch the movie than read the book. Cause I feel like you get more out of the experience, but what, from my experience, what I think this movie did well was the CGI, the adventure element, the action. What I wanted more of was the development of like the romance and more of the character building. And that was something I felt was a little rushed, um, in the movie. Because, again, you're getting more in, in depth of the characters, and it wasn't... I thought the casting was well done. I will say that. But I feel the, it was just rushed too much in the film for, for my for my taste. But that that's my experience, again, people say. But I completely agree with you. And, again, for Spielberg to do this film, this was almost like Ernest Cline's novel and him to talk, tackle all these things. And this and actually, was Spielberg said his third hardest film he ever made. Um, that it really was kind of a love letter to Spielberg, really. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, I, I, I still enjoy it. And I wonder if he'll do the sequel ever, you know, if that down the line. But we have that was his last film pre the pandemic. And now we have coming up this winter, next month in December, we're getting his adaptation of West Side Story, which from the trailers alone is already looking fantastic, uh, which is interesting because he hasn't done a, a musical, if you will. Um, I mean, obviously, he's had a huge say in producing a lot of these animated movies, you know, such as like American Tale, How It Goes West, stuff like that. Um, and a lot of animated shows that he's, you know, been an executive producer on. But for him to tackle a full on musical and one that um, has already been made before, you know, we had the original film that came out in, I think, the 50s or in the late 50s, 60s. So this would be the first new take on it. Um, with his unique spin and especially nowadays how filming is done camera work they can done nowadays uh i'm excited to see his take on this classic you know romeo and juliet story west side story but you know what taylor it's it's like i said we can't fit everything into one hour because the man has done so much but really when you look back at his career of the films that he's directed and then you can go in a whole other boat with how much he's helped with producing and, and how much as well. and screenwriting, how much his company has just, you know, done so much. The partners he's had, the actors he continues to use his, you know, John Williams. I mean, the list goes on and on. He has made some of the most impressive and important films of history from the different genres, sci-fi, fantasy, history, a little bit of horror, romance. I mean, He's done it all. He really has. And the fact that he seems to not be like, I'm not slowing down. Uh, there's another movie coming up called The Fablemans, which is listed next year. It's supposed to be uh, kind of a, a kind, not exact, but a little bit of his time and his family growing up in Arizona. 
which is that'll be cool. So, you know, it, it just shows that he's not slowing down. And I mean, as of now, he is, let's see, he's 74. So I feel like, you know, he's going to want to keep telling stories. And so I'll be excited to see what Spielberg comes up with, you know, over the next 10, 15 years, see what else he continues to want to, to do with his life. But you can't deny he's one of the most impressive, you know. I know with his company, you know, with his company is exciting uh, for those of, you know, as we see a, a, a huge surgence in streaming material and media. I know that he had kind of like looked down at uh, streaming at the time of, you know, filming, but now it's kind of turned around with Amblin Entertainment is uh, had made a deal with Netflix that he's going to be producing at least two projects a year helping with uh, and possibly directing. So, yeah, he's definitely not slowing down. And uh, I wonder what he's going to come up with next uh, in the next, you know, 10 years. Who knows? But I'm glad we got to do this, Chris. It's such a love letter to, I think, uh, a director's director, if you will. I mean, one of the best if not the director of all time uh in our lifetime and future generations i hope that people continue you know kids adults continue to go back and see what he has created and amassed and, and continue to enjoy all the stuff that he has uh gotten to be a part of and help to create and help inspire generations of moviegoers to this day so we salute you spielberg thanks for entertaining us for decades and we can't wait to see what comes next Thanks for listening today, folks, and we'll be with you guys next time here on The Potential Podcast. And cut! Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast, or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.